Ah, it was good at Johnny Smacks to turn up. We have Johnny B a hand this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed the renewal. It's Tuesday the 22nd of November and this is Game On. Coming up today, more on the very recent breaking news from Manchester. We've got breaking news. Welcome back. It is the two Johnnies and two FM. We've got breaking news. Marie Crow, let the people have it. Ronaldo has been sacked by Manchester United. Manchester United have tweeted. This is official. The official Manchester United Twitter account have tweeted to say that Cristiano Ronaldo is to leave Manchester United by mutual agreement, which translates to he's been sacked. How did he translate to it's been that it's been sacked? Because <laughs> he has been sacked. By mutual consent. Well, that's what they all say, but it's usually that's what that's the, Ooh, the general that's a term. Statement. Ronaldo solicitors be on your case yeah, now, Marie yeah, Crow. Yeah, they'll be over in Portugal now going, this girl in uh, Orsi has said this. Uh, meanwhile in Qatar, the first four match day of the world, it gives World Cup gives us early drama as Saudi Arabia calls a massive upset. A shot from the substitute, Nath Alabiv has blocked away. Hugely important intervention. Oh, the sorry! Absolutely sensational! Salam Aldasari and Saudi Arabia lead Argentina 2-1. What a goal! Everything can happen in football. Sometimes your opponent is uh, not at his uh, best uh, motivation. Do you imagine uh, Lionel Messi to play against Saudi Arabia? Of course, he would tell him, uh, yes, we need to start very well, but uh, you know, the motivation is not like if you are playing Brazil. This is normal. This is part of football. So sensational. It'll be a national holiday in Saudi Arabia tomorrow. We'll have more on that with Stephen Hunt, Alan Colley and Mark Langdon shortly. In racing, we'll check in with jockey Tom Scudamore ahead of this weekend's Coral Gold Cup as he bids for a fourth success. Plus, we'll have another €400 to give away as we continue our build-up to the PwC Camogie All-Stars. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. Welcome along. Fresh from commentating on Lionel Messi's very first World Cup game in Qatar, Alan Cawley is with us. Evening, Marie. <laughs> I'm still trying to come down after high. Back down six... to radio, Al. <laughs> that is amazing, though. Like, no, you know, radio is my number one. Joking aside, Al, like to, to commentate, to be the co-commentator on such a huge game, like that must be a bit of a pinch yourself moment. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it is, Marie. When I started this kind of 10 years ago after I finished up playing and um, it wasn't just one of those kind of get into the media and go through the motions type thing that we see with a lot of people. I got into it because I love it and I'm passionate about it and I wanted to do well at it and, and try and kind of uh, be ambitious and drive on to see where I could get in terms of it. And obviously Game On has played a huge part in that. RT Sport with the TV side of things with all, all the League of Ireland stuff I've done women's internationals um, Champions League qualifiers Super Cup so I suppose the natural progression was the World Cup and that's as good as it gets and yeah it was yeah to be fair I was delighted obviously I was hoping I'd get the call and, and thinking this will be the year I will and the call came and, and yeah I've plenty of games coming up but to do the one this morning with Argentina and I love Messi anyway and mm. obviously there's so much hype and expectation around him coming into the tournament and the team as well so I thought all eyes would be on that and that would be the main focus but the story was Saudi Arabia they were absolutely unbelievable Marie um, 
the game itself lent itself to the commentary being being a lot easier than maybe some other games but it was all action it was all um, it was so lively from start to finish they added so much energy to the game and it was no fluke they deserved to win they were absolutely brilliant score two unbelievable goals and um, yeah I enjoyed myself all action Argentina 15 shots Saudi Arabia 3 Shots on target, Argentina 6, Saudi Arabia 2, which they scored goals from. 77% possession, Argentina 30% of Saudi Arabia. So much of having this nice, having the ball and passing around, Alan, they only needed two shots to score. Three yeah, shots and, and score twice. And there's only one stat that you need to read out at the end of every match, Ruby, and that's the scoreline. And um, you're 100% right. Obviously, massive favourites, Argentina, as we all know. Unbe- unbelievable... Uh, momentum they were bringing into the tournament in terms of their form 36 games unbeaten they were about to equal Italy's record of 37 and they were massive favourites uh, going into the game and, and rightly so and you look at Saudi Arabia what they formed they had only two wins out of 10 um, obviously well down the rankings they did do well in the qualification to beat Japan who people are suggesting Japan might be dark horses and Australia so they did do well in qualification to have an experienced manager as well who has led Zambia and Ivory Coast to the African Nations Cup but we thought it would be one of those kind of defensive performances where they're hanging on and as you say it might be a lucky breakaway and a set piece possibly yet to get the goal but Ruby from start to finish it Obviously, they didn't have a lot of the ball and dominate possession, but the energy to broaden, the competitiveness to the game, and even when they were 1 0 down at half time, we still felt they were very much in the game, despite the fact that Argentina had three goals disallowed. Three goals rightly disallowed. One of them was very, very marginal, the VAR call, but the other two were clear cut. But at 1 0, you're always in the game, but the second half exploded into life with two unbelievable finishes. And that was the question mark over them. Would they have the quality to maybe cause Argentina problems in the final third but the answer that emphatically with the two goals Dasari uh, with the second one in particular and he's the poster boy of Saudi Arabian football as well um, and the goal he got the winning goal was absolutely fantastic but all over the pitch to a man they were absolutely fantastic the keeper played his part as well as you'd expect in a game like that where um, the underdogs are, are obviously trying to topple one of the giants and I also felt the number 17 Tambati absolutely unbelievable I mentioned in commentary that he had his Paul McGrath Giants stadium afternoon he absolutely had that today for his co- for his country he was unbelievable and then you come into studio and uh, you find out that Ronaldo was no longer a Manchester United player Al I know what's going to happen when I leave here <laughs> what's next in today um, it is well this is inevitable news really mm. and once he did that interview last week funny enough I haven't been chatting to you since he did the interview and I watched it in full um, there on Friday evening it actually wasn't that bad Obviously, Piers Morgan jazzed the, jazzed the life out of it and, and he kind of um, had all the headlines. In terms of him doing it against yeah, Man United, of course, you can't yeah, do that. Yeah. And, and once he did it, but it wasn't one of these where he was slating everybody and he was running the club into the ground. He made a couple of fair points that you'd yeah. actually agree with But it was well. the act of defiance and the giving the two fingers to the club. And, oh, once yeah, he did it. it that it, was it. And it was always going to end like this, that he was going to leave. It was only a question of when. And obviously, it's a bit surprising maybe that it was announced tonight in the midst of the World Cup. But I'm convinced he has something lined up because you wouldn't do that interview forcing your way out of the club unless you have something lined up. Alan, is there a case it's of who he said it to rather than what he said? Yeah, a bit of that as well, Ruby, because once he, he... makes the choice that it's Piers Morgan and we all know in terms of Piers Morgan that he feeds off that kind of stuff and that tabloid journalism um, 
which I don't think was the right move at all on Ronaldo's part and he could have easily gave that interview to a former footballer maybe there are plenty of them in the media now that he respects or he could have given it to a Manchester newspaper if he wanted or his agent could have lined up a a journalist for him no problem but the fact that he went down the road of him as well straight away people were kind of thinking this is this is a negative on his part because it was Piers Morgan and, and making judgments before they even listened to, the, to it in full and they were only feeding off those kind of uh, little headlines that, that Piers Morgan was putting out himself and self-promoting himself but that's why I wanted to watch the whole thing and I'd have a little bit of sympathy for Ronaldo in some of the things that he said he shouldn't have done it in terms of going against the club like that and, and the inevitable outcome has come and I think he wanted to leave and I think it's best for all parties I'm sure Ten Hag is delighted he, mm. he it's less of a headache and it was a massive headache for him having to deal with this circus and Ronaldo himself just probably wants to play and at the stage that he's at now in his career he's better off going somewhere that he's wanted and that he might play out the last couple of years of his career actually playing games Mark Langdon joins us on the line from the Racing Post. Mark, we all saw the interview. We saw the headlines when they came out. Uh, Manchester United released a statement saying they would be taking appropriate action. What happened in the interim? Yeah, well, I, I think that you know United were just um, you know making sure that you know they were on sort of steady legal ground, I suppose, and were um, trying to. I think in all of these situations, it comes down to control, doesn't it? Everyone wants to control the narrative on on the, you know the correct wording, and so you know I think as far as United were concerned, they didn't want to go two footed on on Ronaldo because you know he has been a legend, and I, I think it's right what Anna said. That he did make um, some fair points with um, within his criticism. I was speaking to some journalists in the week, um, sort of just asking you know how did this story go about and who in instigated it because it was odd that he went to Piers Morgan. I was told that um, his agent, Jorge Mendes, actually, you know, wasn't involved in this and um, didn't want his name anywhere near it. He didn't think it was the right thing to do. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's sort of what prominent journalists um, told me. But Ronaldo was... Um, you know, I suppose single-minded enough to go along with it and and force the issue um, this way. He wanted, he, you know, he's wanted to leave for a while. The problem in the summer was that nobody was prepared to pay the wages that he wants, and I don't see that dramatically changing. Um, you know, in, in the, the couple of months that we've had um, since the summer, so he's going to have to either be more realistic if he wants to play, and if playing is everything to him, then he needs to be more realistic in his uh, demands. You know, he's Cristiano Ronaldo, but he's not the Cristiano Ronaldo of five, six years ago. Or he may have to swallow his pride a little bit and go to maybe a league that would be, you know not one of the, the the major ones and I'm thinking um, of somewhere like um, MLS or, or, or somewhere like that where maybe they could um, you know with, with the star player um, advantage that you've got maybe they could push the boat out but you know he, he's it seems like Sporting, his former club Sporting, have been linked with Ronaldo, but they just simply can't afford um, anywhere near what he's on at the moment. Napoli, at top of the league in Serie A, they were linked with him, and I think that would be the last thing a team like Napoli would need. Would you know some you know great big fuss um, of a signing like that when they're they're playing so well? So I don't see a natural fit for Cristiano Ronaldo. I know he wanted to get out of Manchester United, but it doesn't appear to be like a, a natural place for him anywhere at sort of another really big club. 
Stephen Hunt, former Irish international, joins us on the phone as well. Now turned football agent. Stephen, as an agent, was this the only car Ronaldo had to get out? Was there no other way out for him? Oh, there's definitely a, a, an alternative route for sure. I think being interviewed by Pierce Morgan was his downfall, and it'll be it'll be in the black book, I'm sure, with all the United fans. But uh, listen, it, it was all it was always going to happen because if, if Ronaldo had got injured in the next three or four games. How could you know to pay his wages for the next nine months if he, if he was injured? So to have it wrapped up now before his first game suits Portugal as well. Kills all that suggestion of going back to United. Kills any kind of media leading up to the Portuguese game and and the World Cup for Portugal will begin. I'm, I'm sure now. Stephen, he's got 500 million Instagram followers. He's the first person in history to ever reach that amount. He's a huge brand. Does that make him attractive to clubs just in terms of um, building the brand of the club itself and you know the jersey sales and everything that comes with it? Or is that just something that maybe us that don't understand the way, uh, the way clubs and players work uh, think that it's a bigger deal than it is? Well, I think the, the main reason why United haven't come back strong at Ronaldo would be the would be product down the line of CR7 in Old Trafford and hence the reason why they haven't come out and really had a go at him. His legacy will live on to a certain degree now. Uh, he will be appealing to others. It's just what appeals to Cristiano and what Cristiano wants. We've, we've all seen the interview. I think it's Alice right. The whole picture wasn't that bad, but the bits he did say will obviously lead to headlines. And He will be appealing financially to clubs as well in terms of shirts in terms of followers in terms of advertising but the bigger picture is Ronaldo wasn't enough for the Premier League now he wasn't mobile enough this year to score goals it was clear to all football and noise that unfortunately for him everyone has their day and he obviously had, a, he had one heck of a day at, everyone at every league he's played in so far so his next destination will be key for him to score goals it'll have to be a lower tempo league for sure now, the more important question, anyone on your books that might fill in as a striker in United because United, they're going to have to replace him? Oh, I wish I had, Ruby. Uh, I've been looking forward to the January transfer window. I, to be honest with you, I do a bit of brokering and, and you look around the market for a striker and it's very hard to see one or two that's going to come in. Anything less, I looked at Martinez today up okay, for Argentina. I'm not too sure he's physical enough to come and play in the Premier League and be that six foot two striker the boy Osman at Napoli possibly but would they want to sell now based on the current league position of them going for the title I don't think so so United may have to do with uh, a second class stamp to a certain degree to get him boy till the end of the season maybe a stock and fill out just to see the season out in another couple of years there is not many out there in the market there's not many I go to your terms there's not many AP McCoy's hard to fill in sometimes in terms of that where we're at can you not tell Ruby I'm at, I'm at the yard feeding the horses should you, should you not be at home now doing that no I have it done Stephen don't worry I'm organised I wasn't sitting down watching the World Cup all day I do have other jobs to do I wasn't I didn't have the luxury like Alan Cawley did at 10 o'clock this morning of watching Saudi Arabia beat Argentina but look I'm an ex-jockey you're both ex-soccer players we all know the difference <laughs> Mark, we, uh, most of us anyway were able to watch Argentina play Saudi Arabia this morning and look at, at Messi and uh, make our own judgment on his performance. But before we just finish up on Ronaldo, just given what you've seen in the, the World Cup so far and the levels of play, Ronaldo does have a huge opportunity, it feels like now, to, to almost steal the show if he can put in a, a performance in, in the group stages to start. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you, you don't need, I suppose, that much incentive when it's a World Cup anyway. But if he has got one, um, you know, to put himself in the shop window, um, you know, as well as, as to, to maybe sign off, I, I would assume, from international football with that World Cup win. He, he's got, you know, he's, he's got it all there in front of him and he's got a great support cast. When you look at uh, Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, uh, Rafael Liao, João Felix, they're all there to, um, you know, to do his running, to put the crosses in for him, to play him in. Um, it's just whether he can take it. And uh, I, I do wonder whether he's more of a hindrance than a help these days for Portugal because he's undroppable for the Portuguese national team. But some of those players I've mentioned there, you know, should become the stars of that team now. But it, it's hard for them to do that while Cristiano Ronaldo's there. Maybe there's one last one song um, in there for Ronaldo at this World Cup. But um, I haven't seen it from him for, for a while now. So he's going to have to really put on a performance from a couple of years ago. Alan, we've seen some star names play in other games already. Harry Kane was a bit power player maybe for England. Messi, you watched him this morning. You had uh, Ericsson this afternoon, Lewandowski tonight. Some of those big names, older names, haven't hit the run, ground running so far. Is that a danger for Cristiano Ronaldo too? Yeah, because you'd look at their form coming into it, Ruby, and, and that would be, especially in, in terms of Ronaldo and the lack of game minutes, and I certainly felt like that looking at a couple of the Argentinian fellas today. Di Maria has had very little minutes in terms of uh, game time at Juventus, and he looked way off the pace for them. Messi, as you say, we all thought he was primed for a big performance, but... I think rather than actually blame it on Messi, it was more to do with I don't think the team was functioning at all. And a lot of that was down to the fact that Saudi Arabia were so energetic in and around him as well. Like the lads, that would be my concern for Ronaldo just in terms of the toll now on, I suppose, the mileage on the clock that has taken all over the years. He's gone into it, obviously, not with a point to prove in terms of obviously a new club or anything he wants to do as well as he can for Portugal and finish off uh, winning the World Cup and he firmly believes that and that's the mindset that he has going into every match I suppose but so far I've been a bit, bit disappointed with a couple of the players as you says the only ones that have stood out for me England but you'd question uh, majorly the opposition I thought Iran were absolutely horrendous I watched Netherlands against um, Senegal yesterday a lot of talk about them as well Van Gaal going into it uh, and Cody Gakpo got the goal ultimately it was the winning goal I know they got a late goal late on with class as well but that was the winning goal Gakpo but he was poor in the match as well but there's a lot of hype around him and you asked Stephen there just about a replacement for Ronaldo he's certainly one that might be in the minds of Man United he's only 23 I think he's 13 goals for PSV this year scored for Holland yesterday um, so yeah so he might be one but overall so far in the tournament the two standout teams have been England and Saudi Arabia <laughs> it's, pretty, <laughs> it's pretty amazing and uh, their manager Hervé Renard is getting a lot of credit for his team's performance uh, earlier on today let's hear we never know where he's coming from. It's coming from work. It's coming from uh, God. There is uh, things in football you can't explain because Argentina are huge better than us, of course. And today, uh, the most important uh, the players made history for their country. This is the most important. And I was telling them before, when you go come to the World Cup, you always have to remember forever. Otherwise. Uh, the people uh, won't remember maybe 20 years later. So today, they will remember them. This is uh, very good. But, but as a coach, you know, we still have two games. Two games where the team are in the better FIFA ranking than us. So 
we have to be and stay concentrated. Good start though. You, after the game, you didn't go on the pitch with your players. You ran down this tunnel. What, what did you need to do? You obviously needed to do something, take a moment to yourself. How come you didn't want to celebrate on the, the pitch with your players? Just to come down a little bit. I was a bit nervous. Uh, I'm sure people can understand, but uh, when the time's running, 11 minutes, 12 minutes, you after when you come down, you understood the players were on the, were on the floor, so the ref asking uh, sometimes, but you know, you want always uh, the best for you. And sometimes you criticize the ref, but uh, so it's better to... It's not an easy job for them. But they have to take some time out of position. It's, uh, like Tactically, it. how did you mastermind that result? I think we didn't play a very good first half. We were almost dead after the first half. Penalty, okay, penalty. I saw the replay, there is penalty. And after uh, one or two offside, we were at the limit, not enough pressure. So second half, it was huge better. Saudi Arabian manager there, Harvey Renard speaking. Stephen, I did see someone tweet after the game. Renard for Ireland manager, what do you reckon? <laughs> Hopefully Stephen's not listening. It was one of the it was one of the best coaching performances I've seen in a long time. If you if you look at the game and you actually study the back line, how they were coming up together, how the how compact the whole team was, and then when you play that it's the question mark, is the intensity going to be there for 90 minutes? And to, to bring that performance today was spectacular. It'll be one of them where a lot of coaches, aspiring coaches, will go to on a wide angle and really study their their movements, their patterns of play. And it was a joy to watch. Even in, even in the first half, you know, they didn't play well. But I got the feeling when they missed one or two chances, Argentina, that this team could actually score against them. And, and obviously they did. They won the game. And, and the manager... He feels a little bit like a bit like Jose Mourinho when he's chatting there. He has that sense of, oh, I'll run down the tunnel at the end of the game. I get him. They got a right good chance now of, of qualifying and to bring his players back down to his level will be important the next few days. Stephen, the only goal, it looks like it will only need two draws to get out of the group, which will be some achievement for them. But you said they've been coached, they're organised. It can be coached. They didn't have the ball. So when you look at Ireland and you look at Saudi Arabia getting this result, do you think to yourself, why aren't we getting those results? I, I think from our point of view and our point of view I think we are being coached well I think we are I think sometimes now the players will have to look at the situation and go they've brought that intensity to the games and yes it's a World Cup so it's easy to cover more distance and uh, it's it's very difficult to go and play against Malta away so it's very difficult to judge I think from Stephen's point of view he'll be very disappointed in the Norway game more so than the, the, the Malta game so there will be a lot of head scratching I'm sure Stephen is a deep thinker he'll be looking at it. how can he do better but listen they are we we are getting to the stage now where we need results and we need performances so not just performances and gelling players we need to get wins and I'm sure Stephen knows that Alan I was watching the end of the Wales game last night and then the end of this game today and I was off my seat for both of them and I was just really enjoying watching the closing stages and all the drama and all I was thinking was like I don't care now I wouldn't care how Ireland were playing if they were there Yeah and look that's that's an argument and it's a fair argument Marie um, but I think 
it's, it's tough to compare like obviously Saudi's performance today and where we're at in terms of our development of the game because we're so far behind like we're starting from so far behind and that's why Stephen has come in and trying to implement a new culture and a style or whatever phrase you want to put on it but even though Saudi Arabia there and, and, and Stephen's right they were well coached there was a risk and a reward element to their game as well they were very very brave in what they were doing they had two big powerful centre halves who needed to have recovery pace but at times in the first half they were getting caught out only for it was the, the, not the wrong choice to pass but sometimes just a mistimed run for Martinez and there would have been two or three down only for that Marie. so because they played such a high line which is very very brave in one sense it can also be deemed as madness because a better pass they were in and there would have been three down at half time what that allowed them though because they, high line, because they played with such a high line it allowed them as Steven says to get up and in the faces of Argentina because they were so compact then in that middle third of the pitch so it wasn't like they were sitting deep on the edge of the box and there was a big 40-50 yard gap to try and fill it and get up and close them down the midfield so there was a risk and a reward element to it obviously they got the rewards in the second half and they got further up the pitch and Dasari who was probably their, their best player the poster boy as I mentioned with an unbelievable finish but you look at the group now and obviously we've just seen the game with the other two teams Poland and Mexico not not much to write home about it with those two and Saudi Arabia put themselves in a position where I would fancy them now against both of those teams and they should look like strong favourites to get out of the group Stephen I'm sure you watched some of the games this afternoon as well but what about Lewandowski missing the penalty and Odacho I think that's how I'm going to pronounce his name the Mexican keeper playing in his fifth World Cup saving that I mean what a moment for him but what about Lewandowski what about his expression when he missed uh, the fact that he's got no goal Either in the World Cup in his previous in in, in Russia in 2018, well, he'll be sitting at home tonight scratching his head and and listen. I think this group is has got a bit more to go yet with Saudi Arabia as well. I think they could go and lose three four nil to Poland. I've no, I've no doubt about it. Stephen, will you Stephen go back to the horses if you think they're going to lose three or four nil to Poland? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alan, you never know. Football's a funny old game and and. <laughs> It's a bit surreal to be honest, Al. I'm sitting here and there's like horse lessons going on around me, and it's pitch dark, and I'm there's horse coming around <laughs> around the field to get me, and I'm like, I've no idea where I'm at here. But anyway, it's great. It's great for anything. We go back to the World Cup. Isn't it great that we're not actually getting involved in the policy side of things? There's been a full football chat about it, and the World Cup is well and truly underway, which we're all we're all thankful for for sure. Yeah, but I still think it's really important to talk about the politics as well, Stephen, because of there, there, like, there's, there's been some horrific things happening, and and you know even just Iran and and the stand that they made, they're shining a light on the 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 human rights and the treatment of women in their country, and you know a lot of people wouldn't know about what's happening in the likes of Iran without. Uh, without the bravery of their team and the bravery of their captain to come out and speak about it and the football is great and it's entertaining but there's so much else going on as well and, and, and I do think that um, at every stage when we can we all will and do our best to, to speak about it uh, Mark Langdon is also on the line Mark we've been talking about horses to human rights and back to the football um, again would you, you bring a bit of voice of reason here to the whole conversation and tell us how the, how the group is going to go <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am more comfortable myself talking about the, the football or even the horses, really, rather, rather than the human rights, which is, you know, such a um, a, a difficult subject. So I mean, you're absolutely right that we do need to keep discussing it as well. I, I, I mean, I think having watched Mexico and Poland, I think Argentina will still get out of the group. I think that they can um, recover from what's happened. As long as the team stays together and united, you do occasionally get, don't you, when big teams lose a game like that, um, 
um, all of a sudden, you know, the, the 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 sort of harmony within the squad completely goes, and and then you're fighting a losing battle. I still see um, Mexico um, sort sort of not being good enough um, in the final third to hurt Argentina. So I'll go for Argentina to qualify. In terms of the the second spot, I think the way that Saudi Arabia played and the fact they got three points on the board. Um, they surprised me with how good they were. Um, I'm not sure it was a fluke, though. And the, another thing to consider, of course, is like the home advantage almost that they've got. You know, it's just across the border. They had a lot of fans there, um, and that kind of drove them on in the second half. So, I mean, I think having watched that Poland-Mexico game, I, I think that Saudis will fancy their chances of going through. Stephen, before we let you go, Stephen Hunt, I know you're standing in the field watching riding lessons, but obviously you're in the UK. Have they lost the run of themselves already after beating Iran 6-2? Is the football coming home? Are you going to be listening to this oh, nonsense I, I for the next three weeks? I, I, I I'll be going to like lower League 1, League 2 games, and I'll be listening to the scouts going on about it. And well, To be honest, I fancy him to win it, unfortunately, but uh, I'll have to get the year must on for sure. Yeah, well, best of luck with your most. You probably need him standing in the field you're standing in. Thanks a million for taking our call this yeah, evening. Man. I hope you enjoy the rest of the World Cup. Alan, England, they're definitely going to get out of their group. Did we see any other team thus far that you could say they have a chance other than Saudi Arabia, which is not going to happen, by the way? No, the focus, obviously, in the last couple of days, Ruby, I was on... Netherlands who we all thought might be live contenders coming into it as I said I covered that game yesterday and I wasn't one bit impressed the only positive for them really was the fact that Depay came on with half an hour to go and they got 30 minutes into his legs and they obviously need him because they started with Janssen up front and he just won't cut it at this level in terms of going on to win a World Cup so I think that was hugely important that they got Depay on because they certainly look a lot more dangerous with him on the pitch and the goal scoring record that he has at international level as well is very very impressive and I mentioned Gakpo got the goal but I wouldn't have them down as, as winning it then England as you say and I always felt England had a chance coming into it obviously with the players to have what was good about Southgate yesterday albeit because of the opposition he was a lot more positive in his team selection and he only played with four at the back which allowed you another attacking player obviously further up the pitch which is where their strength is with all their attacking players the question is will he revert back to type when it comes up against one of the better teams and that would be the fear I'd have but certainly they're in with a chance and then today all the focus was on Argentina and they were very much the favourites I think coming into the tournament them in Brazil and all eyes on Messi and you look at the unbeaten run that they were on but I wasn't one bit impressed absolutely Ruby and they were very one-paced in the game as well and, and obviously the energy that Saudi Arabia brought and the question is after maybe an hour you're thinking can they sustain this but they absolutely sustained it and they kept going right till the death they were absolutely brilliant Saudi Arabia and there was no real response from Argentina you think like that the goalkeeper would be pulling off save after save and they'd be peppering the goal there was a spell for 10 minutes in the second half where they did have major dominance and you're thinking there's a goal coming but then that kind of fell away again and that would be the worry for me Romero went off injured as well I was disappointed with Paredes and the Paul in midfield they were very very poor very one paced and if you were to ask me right now in terms of obviously Netherlands I mentioned England and um, Argentina as the three who we've seen so far with the potential to go on and win it it's only England who I've been impressed with Mark we haven't really actually delved that much into Messi and his performance today and the pressure that's going to be on both him and the team now in their, their next two group games do you think he's going to be able to rise to it or did we see the best of him in the opening stages today? Yeah, I mean, uh, can he rise to it? Yeah, he, he can. Um, I, I think that that shirt has weighed heavily on his shoulders previously. Winning the Copper last season, the Copper America, 
uh, has eased the pressure there. I mean, he's you know even if he doesn't win a World Cup, he still ended wasn't it was nearly thirty years since Argentina had won a trophy. So um, he he's he's done a lot of um, work to kind of restore his reputation, if you like, in terms of the national team. I think one of the big problems was for um, Argentina, as Alan was saying, really in midfield, a very one paced and. It feels odd to say that they missed Giovanni Lo Celso because he, at club level, hasn't really done it. But for the international team, a lot of the experts that watch Argentina a lot were saying Lo Celso was the link between midfield and attack. He was the one that got Messi the ball in the dangerous areas. And that, that was the problem for me. It wasn't that, that Messi played terribly. They didn't really get him the ball um, where he wasn't surrounded by five or six um, Saudi players. So um, I think that that's something that, that, that they'll definitely need to work on on uh, between sort of game one and game two interested to see whether uh, Enzo Fernandez, uh, Benfica player done so well in the Champions League only young hasn't got many caps under his belt he might be somebody that can just link that play between midfield and attack because um, as Lewandowski showed in this in, in the game against um, Poland and Mexico these players need the service when they play for Paris when they play for Barcelona or Bayern Munich or wherever it is they get the quality from midfield it's very difficult if you're playing in that that forward positions to be able to have a big impact on the game if you're not getting the possession in the right areas at the right times Mark we skipped one game at lunchtime today the first one in Group D Denmark v Tunisia most people thought Denmark were one of the most improved teams in the contest over the last four years they never looked like beating Tunisia from what I was watching. No, no. Again, Tunisia, another team that surprised. Um, you know, in terms of um, sort of tactics, I've, most people assumed that Tunisia would be very defensive, and actually they weren't. Um, and I think they caught Denmark by surprise, particularly in the first half. Ultra aggressive in their play. It, it, it was sort of fair. It wasn't. It didn't cross the line. But um, you know, they were all over Denmark in, in that first half. Denmark seemed to work it out in in the set as the game wore on. Uh, Cornelius maybe should have um, scored. It was a you know. A Ahead of right in front of the goal, really, where he seemed to be put off, I think, by the fact he might collide with, with the post. But Denmark didn't create enough chances to say they deserved to win that game. And we're seeing yet another outsider actually um, show that you know you can be aggressive in these games. And um, it, it was a, it was good to see because it was I didn't see it as a boring uh, nil nil game. And Tunisia also had a had huge fan um, support there. Maybe something we hadn't spoken about going into the tournament, just kind of. Make, you know which teams would have um, a lot of fan support and in terms of European sides uh, there, there's a lot of teams that have gone there that haven't got that fan support um, this time around which is unusual for a World Cup but it's the way it is so um, you know Denmark would usually fill out um, you know an end quite comfortably haven't done so this time so it almost felt like an away game for, for Denmark Tunisia um, played it as if it was like a cup tie didn't they it, it, particularly in the first half I think a draw was about the right result from that game Mark you mentioned the fans there did we have any official explanation as to why the official attendances are um, in excess of the capacities of the stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I know you get a lot of subs on on the uh, on, on on the bench these days at FIFA tournaments, and I'm not sure if if they count in those as well. Um, no, it is. I mean, yeah, it, it's odd, and you know, we 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 know that these games.
games and not um, being uh, full stadiums in, in terms of some of them, and they're, they're still returning. You know the, these crazy figures that are even above um, the, the, the official attendance. So um, no, I'm not sure. I mean, it's one of the the, the many questions that I think people have. Um, you know about the tournament once it's all over. Um, you know, it, it, they've at least some of the games have started to feel a bit like a World Cup. That Saudi Arabia game. It was great to see so many Saudi fans in there making a noise. Um, the Welsh game also was another one that was, um, you know, felt like a World Cup game. The England-Iran game was played in a, a really odd um, and, and subdued atmosphere for different reasons. Obviously, the political issues in Iran and also um, the fact that there just weren't that many England fans there and those that did couldn't get in, um, you know, and, until the game had almost started. So um, I think that there, there are many questions um, for FIFA, um, you know, to, to answer and hope. Hopefully, at least the fan experience can get better as this tournament goes on. Well, those figures, most people would say we're Irish, but it has nothing to do with us. Mark Langdon, thanks a million for taking our call. <laughs> Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. It is competition time now on the programme. How would you like to be in with a chance to win €400? Euro? What about €3,000? Well, listen to this. The PwC Camogie All-Stars take place this Saturday at Croke Park, where the Players of the Year in all three grades will be announced. Celebrating excellence in Camogie, the awards are all about recognising the country's top players. So, we want to know, who would make your Camogie Team of the Year? Head across to rte.ie forward slash GAA and just for voting, we'll enter you into the draw where you could win yourself that amazing €3,000 all thanks to PwC. We'll announce the winner before the end of Friday's show. And to be given a chance of winning that €400 Euro today, thanks to PwC, simply text us now on 51552 and tell us who your Camogie standout player of the year is and why. Include your full name, county and email address in your text. As always, competition terms and conditions apply. See 2FM.ie. Now it's time to turn our attention to horse racing. Last weekend's action was at Haydock and Punchestown. This weekend it's Newbury and Navin, I'm sure Jane Mangle will be along on Friday. Marie, to talk to you about Navin. So I get on great with Jane on a Friday, you know that? I'm sure you do. I hope you're tipping plenty of winners or two of you. <laughs> but we're going to concentrate on Newbury and possibly Newcastle this afternoon. And I'm delighted, to, or this evening even, to say that three-time Coral Gold Cup winning jockey Tom Scudamore has joined us on the line. Tom, how are you? Very good, Ruby. Yourself? Absolutely wonderful, so we are. Tom, it is the old Hennessy, the Coral Gold Cup. It is a very traditional, famous race in the UK. You've been lucky enough to win it on three occasions. And you possibly have a choice this weekend of two of David Pipes runners, Remastered and Jerry Cole Rouge. Have you a choice or have you made up your mind? Um, I made up my mind a few weeks ago. Um, both Jericho Rock and uh, Remastered ran in the same race at Aintree um, just under a month ago. Uh, and I was told then I had, to, had a decision to make. Um, I chose Jericho Rock. And unfortunately <laughs> for Aintree, it was the wrong decision. But I'm hoping that come Newbury, it'll be the right decision. You would, I was hoping you were going to say him. I fancied him at a much bigger odds than Remastered. Remastered fell last year, four out. But Jericho's run in the Ultima at Cheltenham, that looks standout for him. It does. Um, we've got a good pull on the weights. Uh, with the uh, winner Korak Rambler, um, who's trained by uh, Lucinda Russell, my stepmother and father. Um, so we've got a six-pound pull for just under three lengths there. And look, he he's still a novice over fences. He's, he's yet to win over fences, Jericho Rock, um, but he put up some fantastic performances last year, especially in those big handicaps. And I got to be honest, all you know, when I went past the post on him in the Ultima, um, I was looking forward to riding him these these types of races, uh, you know, this season. 
Tom, you won it on Madison de Barley in 08, 2018, size in Tennessee, 2020 cloth cap. Does he remind you of any of those or of any of the same attributes? Um, I think, that, as you know yourself, going into these races, you need a horse with, with plenty of potential. Um, I always think of the the race as a sort of gold cup of, of handicappers. Um, you need a horse that you know, could potentially well, will have to make up the step into Grady Company after this. And um, I've always felt Jericho Rock is, you know, he's only six years old um, and he's got so much scope for improvement um, and you know, we've yet to see anywhere near the best of him yet. So, um, you know, there's, there's plenty of uh, questions he's already answered, um, but I think there's still the natural progression and improvement in him. Uh, and I'd love to think that, you know, he, he's going to make up into a graded horse in time. So like all the others, you know, that that's what you need. You need a graded horse running in a handicap, really. And that is a big help. Tom, Newbury is a big weekend in the UK. It's a, it's a great meeting. It starts on Friday. And I'd be interested to know, are you and the pipe team going to bring entry winner man at work to Newbury on Friday? Uh, again, you're probably all fed up about hearing about this, of, of, of the English woes um, compared to you know, how, how you've been in Ireland. But uh, he's got plenty of entries. It will all depend on the ground. Um, we've had a lot of rain over here today. But Newbury, um, they, you know, they, they're worried that they're going to be on the quicker side. Man at Work also has entries at Carlisle on the Sunday and Bangor on the Saturday. So um, in true pipe fashion, he's yet to be committed anywhere. Um, but I certainly hope that he, he goes in the direction I'm going um, because he was very, very exciting at Aintree. Tom, when you look at the ground the way it is and you will walk across the flat track in Newbury on Friday and Saturday to get onto the jump track, which will be much softer, do you ever think they should be racing the jumping on the flat track in Newbury at this time of year? From a jockey's point of view, of course, um, I see no reason why they don't, but then I'm sure the race course executive uh, will tell you otherwise. Um, when I did ask the question, um, you know, they, they, they told me that... You know, a lot of the j- tracks we've had over here, so Cheps, those you race on the flat track um, to begin with because they've been watering all summer and then you gradually move on to the jumps course. I asked them at Newbury why they couldn't do it and they explained that their first meetings back on the flat uh, are Guineas trials. So um, obviously that does have a bearing. They don't have the same problems at, at Cheps, though. Um, but look, from, from my own point of view, I wish you could. Um, and as I say, even if they are racing on it this weekend, you know, you've still got the thick end of, of five months to get the ground back so um, yeah it is frustrating but unfortunately um, as things stand that's the way it is Therefore should more pressure be put on them to maintain and water their tracks in the summer? I think so I think there's definitely you know I've heard plenty of people describe it that way in the summer um, now um, you know when, you, when you're watching Newbury and the, and the flat course you know when they're having the big flat races there and you know, you look how lush and green the flat course is because of the watering, and then you just look across where you know in a few months' time, you know, you're going to have the coral meeting or what have you, and it's it's parched and brown. Um, you know, you, you've I think it's the way forward now. You look, the seasons are changing. Um, we seem to be having you know dry spells and then very wet spells. You know, you're getting you know, a month's worth of rain in two days, and then you won't see anything for a bit. So you know, we've got to adapt to the conditions we're getting, and um, I think some of the race courses at the moment are being a little bit slow to adapt like it's an impossible job and again you know they're under a lot of pressure from all sorts of angles um, but it's something they really have to take into account going forward there are lots of impossible tasks in life and I didn't envy yours of being on the whip review panel last year <laughs> in the, in the, in, in, with the BHA they did announce today that those new rules will come into play from the 6th of February Tom they were announced months ago what's been the hold up 
Um, same, look, it's, I suppose it's the same with, with any um, big machinery, lots of I's to be dotted and T's to be crossed. Um, you know, obviously some of the, the reviews and, and uh, you know, principles of the idea are quite wide-ranging and involve lots of different things. So I think, um, you know, for instance, with the disqualifications, um, obviously you know, the, the world pool um, and things like that have got to be taken into account. So they, they've had to try and find ways of, of getting around that sort of thing. And, um, and I think that's what's been a lot of the delay has been, but it's been announced today that they're, they're implementing it in January um, in order to have a little bedding in process before it's probably happening over jumps in February. And then I think in the, on the flat, um, they're implementing it just a little bit later to allow those that are riding abroad all winter um, to have it right before the Guineas meetings. They're making a concerted effort to get it right this time around. Yeah, as you remember when they did it what, 12 years ago now, they brought it in overnight and it caused lots of problems. Um, and again, it was something that um, I know as a jockeys we weren't consulted on at all. Um, so this time there has been much more consultation. Look, same as the old saying goes, um, you know, you're not going to pe- keep all of the people happy all of the time. Um, but I do think that it's in the sport's best interests, and um, so, you know, it, it, it's one that, that um, you know we, we have to get it right for the for the for the future of the sport. And I think in in most of the cases in this in this report um, they have. So it'll be interesting to see how it's all implemented. But I definitely believe it's a, a fair and, and and good step forward. Well, I don't think there's so much wrong with it myself, Tom. Thanks a million for taking our call. I shall see you in Newbury at the weekend. Safe home. Brilliant, really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. See you soon. Welcome back. Really, that's the most conversation I've heard about rain and weather in two days. I know, Marie. See, see there's so much that goes on in horse race that people don't even think about, understand, or know. They're very little interesting as well. Like, So I'm glad to see that finally we have educated you in rainfall and grass growth. <laughs> and Ruby, I'm so disappointed that I didn't get the chance to ask you all those questions that were discussed yesterday, but I'll ask you <laughs> off air because I oh, was a very you. disappointed racing fan on Saturday as well with the carry-on over in England and Ascot. I don't think it was carry-on, and I think Tom was trying to explain it even better than I did. Um, it's... Alan, if you started the year with pre-season, you early knew with a, with a footballer, and you're, they're, they're playing the early games. When they get tired after 70 minutes, you can take them off. Mm. And you see that in rugby matches and in soccer matches, they're reading stats, and a player's heart rate goes to X, and their, their level or the distance they've covered has been measured. Unfortunately, in a, heart, in a horse race, you can't just say, going to the second last, that oh, I've had enough today, I'm going to pull up. You actually have to keep going. Mm. So it's very important that you have the conditions for their first run right. It's impossible to get them fully ready at home. No difference to players in any sport. Horses do improve improve fitness-wise at races, like soccer players improve playing games. And the conditions for the for some horses, first runs, most horses. But now different horses vary. Some horses would want good ground, some want slow ground. And you have to get the conditions right. And it's just been very dry. And I can see why all the trainers in England did what they did at the weekend. And it happened in Ireland the weekend before. William Mullins took out a few at Navin. Like William Mullins has no, has no declaration this Thursday in Thurles. The official going is good to yielding. It's just too dry. Hmm. Pretty interesting. Well, it's it's what well, like the the debate kind of centered after the the horses were pulled out around to the fact of do they have to take a different look in terms of the jumps race and if climate change is going to be a factor from years to come and this is going to be the ground that you'll be getting at this time of year, will they have to take a different kind of viewpoint? I don't think so because um, you can go back. I can remember Ascot being uh, good to. F- 
firm in November. I can remember winning the Feroxian Novice Hurdle, which was last Sunday week in Navin. I won that in 07 08 on a horse for Mick Halford called Queen Master. There was three runners on good to firm ground. Now that was 15 years ago. Mm. So I don't think it has changed as much as people mm. would lead you to believe. But right now, because there is a shortage of horses in the UK, or race horses, there's a shortage of quality horses. When they're not getting to see them, everyone is throwing the toys out of the pram. But actually, if you go back through history, there has been the same ground for many years and these horses didn't run. But no one noticed because there was others there. Whereas it is now with the smaller portion of good horses they have, they're not getting to see them as much. Okay, well, that's uh, some very good points. I hope all your questions were answered there, Alan. But if they weren't, we discuss it further. Please, please do listen back to the podcast where we discussed all the different types of rainfall. Uh, so I'm looking here at, <laughs> at the television. At least we didn't discuss the Christmas tree in November again. <laughs> I'm looking here at the television and I'm watching the France team getting ready to face Australia. And although they're plagued with injuries, they were shown shots there or goals from um, Mbappe and Giroud. And oh, they still have a great team. Would you call that team that is lined out tonight great? Well, it's better than what well, I was, like going, what I was thinking when they were when they were talking about all the different injuries. But they like they have Mbappe. Well, they do have. Yeah, you could call it an embarrassment of riches They've in terms Griezmann. of comparing squads to, to other nations, notably ours. But <laughs> um, no, they do. But I still think looking at that team there tonight, Marie Rabio wouldn't have played. Too many young player who I like. Griezmann who I love but is he coming near the end and his best days behind him they have the superstar who in my opinion is the best player in the world right now Mbappe Giroud getting on a bit still has a good eye for a goal uh, doesn't look very mobile now in the warm up I have to say no and he looks good though <laughs> and is Dante Dembele, not the mission? is he not the one they're going to miss most who? well they miss him over Pogba anyway yeah. Benzema I think are the yeah. one to miss most because Benzema and Mbappe would kind of but why are you saying Griezmann's getting on then yeah, but he's getting on in terms of the contribution he's making. He's, he doesn't have as much of an impact with Atletico Madrid like he used to, whereas Benzema is still the main man with Real Madrid and obviously the Ballon d'Or winner, whereas he would have went into that World Cup partnering Mbappe and he would have kind of put the fear of God into you yeah. really with those two. Whereas Griezmann, who I love, and I've seen him playing live against Ireland in the Euros 2016, he was incredible player but I just don't think he has the impact nowadays. Were you happy at, at, at the 2016 Euros when Ireland were playing that style of football when we were there? They played great that day. Well, that day. They actually played great that day. But in general? They came out and had a go. In general? Were you happy? But the funny thing about Martin (laughs) O'Neill, and I don't want to get into this right now, and I know we've only a couple of minutes left, the funny thing about that was the dire football came afterwards. I left the ground in Lee on that day thinking, we have the makings of a really good team, and they're up and at them and having a go. And then Martin O'Neill went completely the opposite way and went back into kind of the negative defensive style, which led to us all. I think we'd be really happy at the World Cup, Alice. I think we would too. At least we were there. We weren't looking at it, wondering what's happening. Saudi Arabia would destroy us. I'm sorry. For all you comparing us to Saudi Arabia, they'd destroy us. Marie. Marie, we're off air now in about 30 seconds and you have given the competition with True. Okay, a big thanks for everyone who texted in to tell us who their Camogie standout player of the year was. Now it's time to pick one person randomly and give them that €400, all thanks to PwC. Congratulations to John Pendergast in Dublin who says Denise Gall should be the Camogie player of the year for all her scores this year for the winners Kilkenny. She's been a super servant to the Kilkenny jersey over the years and it's been fantastic to see her back to her best in 2022 and nailing under pressure scores. So if you missed out today, don't worry, we'll be back doing it all again tomorrow. And in the meantime, head across to rte.ie forward slash GAA and get voting for who you think should make the Camogie team of the year. And remember, just for voting, you could win €3,000. 
That's all we have time for, I'm afraid. Better to Silva's up next. Of course, you can watch the World Cup in the morning. It's Costa Rica and Morocco. Or, well, not sure. I'm not written down here. Morocco and Croatia at 10 o'clock. Germany and Japan at 1 o'clock. Spain and Costa Rica at 4 o'clock. And we'll be back to preview Belgium and Croatia at 7 o'clock, Al. I'm on the 4 o'clock game, Ruby. Tune into that one. Right. Uh, we will be in for that one. Okay, uh, Ruby, you won't be back tomorrow, but I will be and Conan Byrne will be here with me as well, uh, analysing all of those games. RTE 2FM.